Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim, and joining me as always are my co-hosts, Lavelle and Carlo. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. How you guys doing? So we have announced recently on our Facebook page that we are now accessible via Spotify. Thank you to a listener for suggesting we get on there. It turns out it was a super easy process. Thanks to the WordPress plugin that we published this podcast through, we just had to add our podcast's RSS feed to Spotify. So thank you for that suggestion. I hope we have some new listeners via Spotify. With that in mind, if you like our show, do leave us a review. iTunes your favorite podcast app, even Spotify. I think you can review things on Spotify. I know the iTunes reviews show up in my podcasting app, which is called Podcast Addict, which I use on my Android phone. But Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever app you use, we do appreciate your reviews. From what I understand, they do lead us to more listeners by bumping us up in the search results when you search for one of the keywords that our podcast is tagged with. So we would appreciate it. I think at the end of the summer, to celebrate Back to School, we will have another giveaway to prompt some more reviews, which uh, was successful last year. We gave away a box of Armager Knights to those who were liking and following and reviewing us. We'll probably do the same thing at the end of the summer again this year. But but not Armature Knight, something different. Yeah, we'll do something different this maybe, time. Maybe use socks. <laughs> yeah. Warhammer 40k socks. They're yes. Grimdark socks. They're disgusting. Super. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're in high demand. <laughs> All kinds of Nurgle on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, like that's your Nurgle getting started kit. That's it. It comes with a pair of like really nasty socks. To start and, collecting uh, boxes and some ill socks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just filled with suggestions. <laughs> hey, that's uh, you know, people might go for that. You know what I mean? People are edgy these days. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been a ton going on in the hobby in our local gaming scene. Let's uh, kick off this episode like we do every other and talk about what's been new and exciting. So, Carlo, why don't you start us up? What are you working on? What's been going down? How are the games going? Um, since our last recording, I haven't really had much time to do to do anything but uh right, cool lavelle how are you making out <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might as well honestly <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Car- Car- carla you're not living right man you need to get your act together come on so son. a couple of things <laughs> a couple of things from me i have um <laughs> i've been Lave- working lavelle on... is legit taking over the show right now i love it <laughs> yeah he took the corn he took corn from me last week <laughs> now he's taking my hobby progress time <laughs> I don't know what's going on. He said I took corn from him last week. (laughs) Yo, you know what I'm talking about, Tim. Corn stealer. Corn stealer. (laughs) I like corn. That's the truth. Carlo, have you you been doing anything? What's the news? Really, what's going on? You have to have done something. I think the most 40K-related thing that I've done this week has been bringing the uh, burning – Prospero Burns audiobook from my basement up to my living room to give to you. <laughs> really? Yeah, I have it on the table right now. So uh, whenever you come over. I look forward to hearing it. All right, cool. Cool. Hold on, I got a I got a phone call. Alright, do it. Alright, Lavelle, it's all you now. <laughs> now, exactly as I planned. <laughs> it was you that was calling, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Technology is wonderful. That's right. So I've been working on refining both my custodies and my Necron list uh, through mostly through acquisition. A lot of people are shifting armies. I mean, a lot of people. Um, there's one guy I, I, I game with at the basement, War Gamers, and he got into custodies, and now he's getting out. Looks like a win for me. So awesome. I've been buying a lot of people's uh, pieces of their their collections as they shift armies. But I just I just noticed that I think it's um it's a sign of the vibrant community and gameplay that people get to you know really just say okay now I want to try this, hmm. and it's easier to do that now. And so. I've been doing a lot of that and and fleshing out my Necron lists a little bit more. Lavelle, let me ask you a question. Is it, for me, it seems like such a foreign concept. Like, I love the idea that people buy armies, play them, don't like them, and sell them, right? But it feels like such a foreign concept to me to be able to do that because I I feel like I have so much invested in each of my armies that I would never part with them. Like, I would just as soon, like, just, like, put it aside or, like... Just like leave it in a box, then then sell it. Am I strange so, for thinking that, or do you think people are like I, that? I don't think so, I, I, because I feel the exact same way. Right. In order for me to really divest myself in, of, a, of an army, which I did recently do, um, I will divest myself of an army if I look at that army and say I'm not going to play this army. Okay. Yeah. I, not just because I'm having a difficult time with that, or else, or else I would have left Necrons in fourth edition. <laughs> What army did you divest yourself of? I'm interested. My Dark Angel. Oh, uh, yeah. That army is yeah. cursed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and watch it. They'll get their Primark. Now the, I've got that's lines. right. Yeah. All of a sudden, the lion is around. The best unit in the game. L. <laughs> Johnson. There was a player who was interested in it, and um, he was interested in the game. He was getting into the game, and he was looking. I said, you know, we can make a deal. And I just, I just, I really just gave him my Dark Angels. I'm, I'm running out. Don't tell anybody this, but I'm running out of space, guys. This is a problem. Really? I've I've been looking into prefab sheds. <laughs> you know, you should do is run out, run out some office space, like just for my minutes. I saw so, somebody post on on uh, online the other day. They were running out some office space. You could have like a whole 40k office. That's great. And you could have like meet me at my know. 40k office. <laughs> yeah. In the um, grim dark, in the grim dark building on thirty fourth and uh, Market. So, Lavelle, Lavelle, I have another question based on what you just said too. Right, you have been playing Necrons for a super long time, right? Super long time. So, how do you, how do you continue to update that army? Is my first part of the question, and second question is, and and Carlo, you should speak to this too because I know you've been playing Space Wolves for a long time. Is an army ever finished? I wanted to talk about this as part of my hobby progress too. So, is an army ever done, or is it a is it a, like a living document? Let, let me go first, Carlos. Uh, I, my yeah. neck, my arm. <laughs> <laughs> no. My yeah, go ahead. Is fortunate enough that it, I can have different dynasties. And I can be finished with a dynasty because I got finished with my Sawtech dynasty. And then I moved to the Maynard dynasty. And when I was finished with that, now I'm working on a Nefrak dynasty. And all three of those armies look completely different. Oh. And so theoretically, I could play uh, what I think must be about a 28,000 point game with all three dynasties coordinating. Whoa. All under Imhotek the Stormlord. But don't let me get started. Um, yeah, but so... But, you know, I want to say I dodged some bullets in third or fourth edition. They came out with this model called the Pariah for Necrons. 
and I just never got that model, just never got around to it. And now they don't have that model anymore. If that were the case, I might, I, I might be aggravated. Hmm. So none of the models that I ever collected for the Necrons ever just got totally iced. Gotcha. But I would feel differently if it did. Carla, what about you? Are your, are your, is your Space Wolf Force ever going to be finished? And would you ever part with it? Uh, I definitely wouldn't ever part with it. Um, just because it's my, it's my baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my starting force. It's never gonna, it's never gonna leave me. You know? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I don't think it could ever really be finished. I think, like, if you asked me this question before Primaris had come out, I'd say maybe. Mm. But I think I still think even then, like, because there are so many options, uh, and with within like Wolfguard, which are like the veteran equivalent, um weapon options maybe if i had magnetized more of my guys um i would say possibly but sure. there's just so many different options with you know you could put so many different melee weapons and then uh other weapon combinations left arm right arm you know uh like storm shields you could put like combi weapons on them storm bolters all kinds of stuff you could have all your terminators kitted out differently you could have bikers of the same you know veterans and then you can have a uh, you know, how many troops is enough troops? I don't know. Like, I'm going to have, like, six squads of intercessors, hopefully, at some wow. point, you know? Wow, wow, so, I really love them. They're, they're a great unit to play. I know there's a lot of hate on Primaris, but, like, I'm digging them. I'm digging them good. Yeah, I don't do know. You, what do you, I, what do you I, think? I, I would never get rid of my... I don't think I would ever get rid of one of the armies that I'm actively playing. I have like you know I have like a Grey Knights army that's just still in the boxes that's just sitting there. I have an Orc army that is like the thing on the bottom of my list to take care of, even though it's primed and ready to be painted. It's just waiting to be played, pretty much. But I think you're right about mentioning the Primaris Marines. You know, I'm not a big fan of the models, but I'm getting my. I have I've built them. I've built a bunch of them. I got a box of Hellblasters. I got a couple of squads of the Aggressors and some. Uh, intercessors. They're all built. They're semi-painted. And my last couple of games, I haven't been having much luck with just straight-ahead Space Marines. So, I, you know, I think, you know, the time has come that I need to embrace uh, embrace the dark side of the, of the Iron Hands <laughs> and just get on board with these Primaris Marines. And especially in light of the fact that there have been rumors recently of a new chapter-specific Space Marine Codex getting released, which possibly might drop some new uh, Space Marine models slash uh, maybe some transport options for the Primaris, like a flyer or some such, or some maybe some bikes or hovercraft or jet bikes or something like that, uh, which might make the Primaris a little bit more interesting to me. But in terms of just keeping up with the game and remaining com- somewhat competitive, as much as I'm able to be competitive, I feel like it's time for me to do the Primaris thing, and therefore what I thought was a finished Iron Hands army is all of a sudden the you know the uh, the uh, Pandora's box is slowly opening back up again. So I do look forward to finishing. I have a couple of dreadnoughts that are built and semi-painted, and I have uh, you know maybe a thousand points of primary stuff that I have to just base and finish, and then get some foam for so I can actually bring it around to play with. But but I, I'm 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 close to getting all that done, and I do look forward to seeing how my uh, seeing how my games go with uh, you know a more modern uh, Space Marine army, as it were. Do you, uh, are you going to try and, like, mix them up with your 
other Iron Hand stuff, or you're going to run purely Primarch. No, I'm, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to mix it up. I, I, you know, I love Land Raiders. I love uh, Storm Ravens. I love my Predators, and uh, I, I, I think they'll always be a part, a place in my army for all that stuff. Yeah. You have some notes here, Lavelle, on uh, playtime with your Custodes army. What's that about? So, you know, I have been getting a lot of games in because I knew Carlo couldn't play, so I've been getting his play in for him. I've been playing a lot with my Custodes army. Before I want to I go into that, I want to say one of the other things that I've been working on is Age of Sigmar. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm helping Justin build out a Stormcast Eternal armies, you know, raiding people who are getting rid of their stuff. And uh, been, that's what I do. I swoop in. You're having hard times there, buddy? Yep. Cash your hand. Help. That's right. Meet me out behind your house. Um, and I've been pl- getting some games in with my Seraphine army, which is a really good army. I'm just not really not good at the game. Hmm. But I, one of my problems is I'm, I'm not playing enough. So I'm, I'm, I intend to get some more play in. Yeah. But as far as my custodies, I've been going um, – Really, really hard playing the same list over and over again. You know, I think Alex, um, Sasha, he was the one who mentioned that to me. And I heard in a conversation, it was a group conversation about getting games in with the same army and maybe tweaking the list rather than making sweeping changes so you can get a chance to see what works and what doesn't. And the reason behind that, I think I'm really going to go in this summer in the, in, in the local tournaments that we have on. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but our local scene is really, really growing. Mm-hmm. Coming up, we got some really good tournaments, some strong tournaments in the Philly area. There are a lot of tournaments, but two that I want to mention is the annual Page Liberty Hammer. Um, the Philadelphia area gaming enthusiasts, they run out of uh, red caps down in uh, University City. The Liberty Hammer event, Joe has been putting that together. Joe, you know, everybody knows Joe runs the Nova events, but... Long before he started his Nova, he cut his teeth running the Liberty Hammer events and, and putting together great events for us. It's over June the 22nd and 23rd, and it's a really, really great narrative event. Day one is uh, kill teams, and then it leads into a really good narrative uh, 40K event, and it's really, really good. But also this this summer, we have the uh, Basement War Gamers. They have a summer slaughter event on 727. And they're really doing a lot to to really pump it up. And I got to tell you, that event, those guys up there are really, really competitive. But at the same time, you know, they're not the type of competitive that makes you hate the guy across the table. (laughs) And um, it's really opening. It's it's a great event. Now, I've been talking to a lot of people. I recommend and I'm going to try my best to go to both events. But if you can't go to both of those events... The Summer Slaughter, it's running 40K, Age of Sigmar, and Guild Ball tournaments over two days. Um, if you can't go to both events, this is, this is some guidelines to think about. If you like a really great narrative event where the story, it's all story-driven and the decisions that you make during the play, those things impact the next series of games that you're going to play over that event. I recommend the Liberty Hammer event. That's the the Liberty Hammer event is really really fun and it's really really narrative. If you like to test your metal in a competitive environment, you've got to go to Summer Slaughter. So the Summer Slaughter, some of the, the guys in that circuit there, they 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 play across the country. They're really really experienced players, and you can get involved in some really technical 
discussions that expand your ability to play. It's really, really good. I recommend both of the events. Um, Tim, let's make sure we put both of them, links to them on our Facebook and our Instagram pages so people can know that they're out there and, we'll and they take advantage of it. You know, if you if you like playing the game, whether you're new to the game, returning to the game, just when you're first time, both of these events are great. They're great for that. They're great. They're very welcoming. They, they're all both hosted in really, really good space, too, with really good food options nearby. Hmm. So Nice. Yeah, so I would really recommend you take a look at that. I just registered for the uh, SummerSlam today. It is uh, it's a two-day Summer event. Slaughter. Summer Slaughter, rather, yep. Um, two-day event, and it looks like there's a lot of prize support, too, which is nice to see. Oh, yeah, they're really, really good at prize support. You know, um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about terrain, and both of those events are venues that have really great terrain. Hmm. Um, and they, they do a really good job maintaining their terrain and creating boards that are interesting to play. I want to talk again about our local scene here in Philly. I know we got listeners from all over here, but we're so lucky right here in this area where we can pay with experienced national players as well as people who are just taking their models out of bubble wrap (laughs) and just getting back into the hobby. And no matter what, you can still have a great gaming experience. You know, when I think about the guys in Burks, the guys up in and alternate universes, all of those people that we have in our general broad community, man, this is a great time to be a 40 gate player. Great. Yeah, it's terrific. I look forward to both events this summer. I look forward to, it's actually pretty warm in my office today. So I was just thinking as I was registering for the summer events, like it'll be nice to play in like air conditioning. (laughs) It's like all about it because I don't have air conditioning in my house. I'm like, wow, air conditioned 40 K it's worth the price of admission right there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not even hot today. I'm just feeling a little bit of the warmth. I'm like, hmm, maybe it's because my PC is running a little hot right now. My feet are getting warm. It's got to be nicer in the winter, though. Nice it is, it, it's much nicer in the wintertime, but this time of year I'm starting to feel the uh, – my, my, I just had to take off my shoes because I'm like, hmm, it's a little warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> so on my end, um, I just – a couple hours ago was at the Black Library website where I ordered the – Imperial Infantryman's Handbook, which is a reissue of an older book, which is kind of like a a how-to guide to be a member of the Imperial Guard slash Astra Militarum. I expect it's pretty humorous and uh, should be a good read. It's like, it looks like it might be a limited edition uh, release because it was sold out on the GW main site, but they still had copies on the Black Library site. I also ordered the... um, the Night Lord's Omnibus novel. Somebody really recommended to me that I check out that book by Aaron Dembski-Bowden. Apparently that's his best. Uh, TJ recommended it, actually, just yesterday. Um, apparently uh, TJ thinks that's uh, Aaron Dembski-Bowden's best writing is for the Night Lords, so I do look forward to reading that. Um, I finished reading a Horus Heresy novel that I had... Uh, the last three I hadn't read yet, so uh, Wolf's Bane, which I think is three novels ago, which is Lehman Russ versus Horus. Awesome novel. Carlo, I got to hand it to you. You should really read this book. You, you, I think it's you'll dig it. When he gets the spear, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He gets I mean, the like, spear. I don't want to spoil too much. No, he, Damn, wait. <laughs> he, he gets the spear at first. He, you, know, you, you, you see the spear early in the novel, and Russ isn't a big fan of it because it just it has this strange feel to him. But by the end of the book, he gets into it. It's pretty badass. Um, yeah, so Alex was like, telling me about that. And- he was laughing about it because he's like, "Yeah, Russ hates this weapon, 
but it keeps finding its way back to him somehow. Yes, yes. He tries so to get like, rid of it kind of a couple of, he tries to get rid of it a couple of times, but then somebody's like, Hey, you left this at the restaurant or you left this at the bus stop. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah, he's yeah. like, What have you done? <laughs> it just keeps finding its way back to him. <laughs> Which is pretty yeah. good, yeah. There are two things that, that struck me about that book. He mentions the second legion in that book which is one of the lost legions that we don't know anything about, right? He mentions it in such a way that while he's talking about it, I forget where they are. They might be on a flight deck or something, but he starts talking about the second legion and then it's really clever how he does it. He starts talking about it and then the author explains that there's like this big noise so he never gets to finish his sentence or the, or the space marine that he's talking to never gets to hear what he's saying. So you see like the beginning and the end of the sentence of what Russ is saying about the second legion and then the conversation's over and they move on and do something else. But you don't actually get to hear what he said about the second legion, which I think is kind of interesting because very rarely do those two lost legions pop up in any of the novels, so I thought that was really cool. It struck me. I underlined it in the book in pencil. I was like, oh my god, they talk about Second Legion. And also, uh, Belisarius Call is mentioned in this novel. And this is Call, you know, clearly way back in the day, because he's still kicking it alive and well on the 41st millennium that we know and love in 8th edition. But this is him, uh, you know, 11,000 years ago, before he's even a tech priest. He's like a tech adept on his way to becoming a tech priest, and I won't I won't give any of the story away because it's awesome and Call is a total badass in this book. He he gets real militant by he gets real militarized by the end of it, which is kind of awesome. Um, so even if you're not a heresy reader, this book has so many tie-ins to the current 40k setting that this one is really really worth reading, especially because Horus versus Lehman Russ is a pretty awesome story. Yeah. Hey, I I need to jump in here. I got a question because you just triggered this question. First of all. Uh, uh, my hat is completely, completely off to you, Tim. Tim, you recommended The Master of Mankind, mm. and the book the book changed my life. It's a good one. <laughs> it, it changed my life. I saw the error of my ways, and I, I'm a repentant custodian now. <laughs> um, it was so good in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the things that he – that the way the custodians view the uh, the Space Marines – it's just it's just mind blowing. Yeah, it's just mind blowing. They're, they're, you're not people. You're weapons. Yeah, yeah. And your your primark is just the weapon platform on which you were built. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> but here's my question. This is a lore question. So, Call is older. He must be younger than Arkham Land. Yes. Oh, you know, I always thought that he was older. Than land because land was in the master of mankind and and they weren't talking about call he must have been just an adept yeah call might have been like like doing stuff at that time but he doesn't come into the story until after until that's two books after that so yeah, yeah. okay so land is around before that book yeah and Arkham Land is an awesome character in that novel, is he not? Like he's a really See, cool, oh, he's awesome. He's, he's a cool human. <laughs> you you know what's really interesting though, how he how the Space Marines and the Custodes they really hold them in a position of respect, yeah. but the rest of yeah. the, the people from Mars are like, oh, here's this upstart. Exactly. Yeah, he can do nothing right in some folks' eyes, but another right in other people's eyes, he's like really doing great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those great are good. book. Great those book. are good. Those are good. Um, I also finished reading the latest Vigilus book, Part Two: uh, Vigilus Ablaze. Um, this is where we uh, Abaddon enters the fray. I enjoyed it. 
it felt um it felt a little fast to me like the big fight there you know there's a big fight between Abaddon and Calgar and you know you 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 really you already know what happens so it's not it just felt <laughs> so you know, we already know how this you know, it, it felt it felt a little lackluster i felt the same way about some of the gathering storm books at the end of 7th edition how the first one was really awesome and the second one was kind of good and the third one i thought kind of missed a few steps because it was too I felt like it was moving too quickly or it wasn't like hype enough, you know. I don't know. There was just it's something about it. Sequels. Yeah, you might be right. There was just something about it that wasn't wasn't rocking for me. Um, there are some great missions in that book. Uh, it's there's some you know there's some new artwork which I really do like. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing the missions. The missions look really good. That'll be fun to do. I have a note here to talk about paint. So I have been using because you know that's exciting because it. <laughs> It's exciting just because I want to give a company props for handling a situation well. So I have been using the Army Painter gunmetal paint for years, right? Love how it looks. It goes on easy on top of other colors. You don't have to underpaint at all. It has a really good consistency. It's really bright. It takes a uh, it takes a shade or a uh, a wash really well. So I'm a big fan, right? I've been using it for a long time. I buy like four or five at a time whenever I'm over in Jersey at uh, Top Deck where they sell it because I go through a lot of it. I use a lot of it. So I got I got four, you know, I got a handful of them uh, maybe six weeks ago and finally needed to dip into them. And it's a totally different paint. The consistency is wrong. The color is wrong. It's super bright and shiny. It's totally different. And I am like intimate with gunmetal so i know exactly what it should look like coming out of the the bottle this is totally different it looks like one of their other colors i'm like wow there must be something wrong so i check my other one same thing check the other one same thing check the other one same thing i got a handful of these paints that are all not the old gunmetal color nor consistency so i send an email to army painter lo and behold i get an email back from peter at Army Painter, he's one of the customer service reps, I guess, based on his email signature. He says, it's an issue. We are addressing it with our supplier. What's your address? I'll send you, if we have old gunmetal, I will send you a bottle of the old gunmetal to tide you over until we can get uh, a revised edition of gunmetal out into the sales channel, which I thought was good. It it took a day to get the email back. I had sent him, uh, you know, I sent him a thank you. Look forward to receiving the paint. Look forward to buying more in the future, etc. So I expect uh, in a couple of weeks I'll have some uh, some old, new, some new old stock gunmetal to work with. So I just wanted to give Army Painter props for uh, uh, recognizing some kind of error in their supply chain and uh, rectifying it and trying to keep their customers happy. So that's pretty cool. Uh, in other news, I built, finally built and primed my Iron Jaws Maw Crusher. I had bought two of these things years ago and then sold them because I just wasn't going to build them. And then I bought another one back, as we do. You know, you, you give and take. It's an ebb and flow of plastic off the hobby shelf. Uh, so I finally built and primed a Maw Crusher. I think I'm going to get another one, too, because I want to have a big Iron Jaws army. Because I feel, I feel like Philadelphia, the Philadelphia gaming scene, is getting psyched for AOS. And I'm into that. I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to getting into AOS after this uh, the Vigilist campaign that Sasha is, uh, has put together is over. I think a bunch of us are going to uh, going to have some good uh, throwdowns in the AOS uh, books. Have you played AOS at all? Yeah, yeah. I've gotten in um, a number of games over the last since uh, ages since Age uh, of Sigmar came out. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Well, Lavelle, do you play it at all? I do. I have a Seraphine army. But you know the problem is it's a um, the Seraphine army is is a um, 
it's got a lot of tricks and you're summoning things that that is expanding your army and you're moving things around the board in all kinds of wild ways and making your players say is that in the rules which i love <laughs> um but you know i i really haven't gotten the the, the i think what's 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 taken me i i'm really drawing too much comparison between it and 40k because where i'm really losing the game is in in um combat in mm. close combat mm-hmm Yeah, I think the the only luck I've had in AOS, especially with Iron Draws, is using that hero phase just to set up good things to happen in close combat. It's really all about that for my army, so it's a very different I've, thought approach, yeah. I've heard the game focuses a lot more on close combat than 40k does. Like, 40k tends to be uh, heavily favor shooting armies, where I've heard AOS is like quite the opposite. Is that true? Definitely true. Definitely true. Uh, the Iron Jaws have very little ranged attacks. I don't think my army has any right now. So I have to get up close and personal. But I have stuff that I can do in the hero phase to make that a reality pretty early on in the game, which is nice. So it does give me a fighting chance, so to speak. Yeah. In gameplay news, um, I had a great game uh, last week against Lauren for the Vigilist campaign. It was game three for me. Uh, she kicked my butt. It was a good, fun game. Um, she was playing uh, Tempestus Scions, and she walks in, she, you know, she gets there, oh, it's not a very competitive list, and then it was like, <laughs> wham! It was like plasma <laughs> from everywhere, it was like, oh my goodness <laughs> gracious. I was, I she was might not... as well have said, well, why don't we play for money? <laughs> it was just great, yeah, exactly. I got... <laughs> it was good, it was fun. Yeah, she's, a, she's like, oh, I'm not a very competitive player, she's a very competitive player. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my ass handed to be in that game. It was a lot of fun. We had a, we had a good time of it. Um, I think there are some people that are just like really good at the game. Maybe not like the competitive attitude, but are still like competitive level of skill yes. kind yes. of a thing. And that's what it sounds like. She you know, yes, she, she was playing. Yes, she was. She's one of those players. And we'll talk about it more in Welcome Scouts. But I'm, I want to work to get better at actually playing. The game. We'll talk about that in the next section, though. We'll talk about getting. More... Yeah, Tim. I've seen some of your like <laughs> battlefield decisions, and yeah. they are the best. <laughs> I, I want to get more. I want to get more gooder. I really do. <laughs> I love like it. Tim. Well, excellent, excellent painter, lore master. When it comes to the battlefield. Uh, what, I, what I what I have to stop doing is putting models where they look cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. How do you gonna... deploy? So, what's your uh, that's what's gonna your make strategy on deployment? Well, these guys look great <laughs> on this side of the board over here. I didn't want to put them in cover because it hides the amazing paint exactly, job. I exactly. Did on them. <laughs> exactly. This is, is going to be a great picture. <laughs> I really, I do hey man, play, I play I for think the photo. You do ops. have to play like that sometimes. <laughs> I, I think that's a great attitude to have. I need to um, stop playing for the photo ops. Yes, it's yeah. like a, it's. I'm like a person who goes to the concert only to take themselves, take pictures of themselves at the concert, and not listen to any of the music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know it's it's a it's a weakness of mine, and I I do want to focus more on it. And I'm hoping you know between the tournaments coming up this this summer, and uh, getting some more games in with y'all and finishing out this Vigilist campaign that I can just, you know, try to be more aware of my tactical decisions from the jump and not uh, not be quite as casual a gamer as I have been in the past because I am getting my ass kicked all the time and that's 
you know, not not awesome. I, I would I at think, least like to be more in the running, you know. I think what we need for you, what you need is a good old 80s training montage. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I got to think you, we need. that's not my experience in playing with you. So, sometimes that I'm lucky. I suck too? Sometimes I'm lucky. No, sometimes I'm uh, lucky. Well, I wasn't going to say it, but uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? Where hey. there's two people that suck, the it's third not, one. It's probably. Not... <laughs> yeah, I'm not get that. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not all bad. You know, I, I win a game every now and again, but I would like to be more competitive, more regularly. You know what I mean? Yep. I think it's just a fact that, like you were talking about before, our area is home to some of the best players in the country. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of time, you know, the three of us are often placed against better opponents which forces us to make harder decisions a lot and you know if you're not playing the same list all the time like Lavelle was talking about you know you, you, it's hard for you to um, to learn your army and uh, learn the ins and outs and all the little techniques and tricks and stratagems and stuff and when the appropriate time is to use them and those are the, those fine details um, are what when games in 8th edition. It's a great point, and that's something that Lauren did really well. She said at the end of the game that she'd been playing that same Scions list since 6th edition. Wow! Which struck me as just being just just awesome, right? So she's intimately familiar with what that army can do. Which is which is great, and it's exactly how she played it. You know, she knew the orders, she did the right orders at the right time, she had stratagems at the right time, you know, it was just... She had a response to everything that I was doing, and it was really it was it was masterfully played and really nice to see. It was it was it was a good game because of that, but it made me really aware of picking of building a list. I thought I had a good list. I was playing all Admac. I had a solid you know eighteen fifty list. Um, I think and Lavelle, I know you do this where you you try to stick to a list and you try to get really familiar with it and comfortable with it. And I want to I think I want to get more in that mindset too. Whereas most of the time I just, you know, put together a list that's really fluffy and these guys are with these guys because X reason happens and because they take great photos together. But I need to get away from that and start picking a list that's, you know, tactically has a lot of options and I can get really comfortable with. Yeah. Tim, I think you also tend to pick armies that are usually not like the the like broken armies in the edition. You know what I mean? Oh, like definitely. <laughs> like Iron Hands is like you know, you could do some cool stuff with Iron Hands, but their chapter tactic is like probably one of the least efficient. It is way down. There. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, although like six, you think six of a field of payment would be pretty good, but for some reason, like never. Well, I mean, combined with your dice rolling, is like <laughs> horrendous. <but anyway. laughs> Uh, I think it was it you that was telling us about that last week. Yeah, it was like the dice, the dice rolling in your yeah. game was just yeah. horrible. The first, the first yeah. two turns, I was like, it was like nothing but ones. And you, know, and, <laughs> you know, and last episode, I'm talking about we were talking about dice rolling last episode, and I was saying, you know, how proud I was of the system I had worked out, where I have ten colors of ten dice of one color and ten dice of the next color, so I know exactly what to grab when I have a lot of shooting going on. But it occurred to me at the end of my last game against Lauren that I clearly need twenty dice of very different colors because these are not working whatsoever. <laughs> everybody knows when the dice don't go your way, it's because of the colors. It must be the colors, <laughs> right? It must be the colors. <laughs> I, uh... Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was going to say, Lauren was a great sport. She was laughing at me most of the time, but she was a great sport about it. She said she didn't mean to laugh at me. It was just really funny that I was rolling ones the whole game. <laughs> it was great. It was great. 
He said she didn't mean to laugh. She didn't at me. mean to laugh. She, selfies. she just happened to be laughing. <laughs> yeah, hashtag kicking this guy's ass. Hashtag ad back suck. Hashtag like, <laughs> hammer forty k. <laughs> That's what it worked out to be. Yeah. Um, Carlo, I see here in the show notes you're talking about some Gundam models. What's that about? Yeah, so then I like I didn't really have any forty k. Hobby progress because I've been making some progress on these Gundam models. Um, I have the Wing Zero from the Gundam Wing show, and then I have Epion that I wanted to build. <clears throat> and I've been staring at them online for a long time. And, you know, GW, those wretched people keep releasing new 40K kits, so I can't take the time off to do these Gundams, but I just said, heck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some progress on it. So I've been, you know, Building those, I've been, I got two master grade kits, oh, uh, nice. which are like the the harder level. I think the the top tier is perfect grade. They're like one below that, but the perfect grades are like you know uh, usually in the hundreds, couple hundred dollars. So these kits are around eighty uh, pop, depending on where you get them. Uh, you get them online for cheaper, but I usually like to support um, local stores. There's um, a store down in. Um, old city that I bought this from. So I think we may have talked about. Yeah, the um, other other world uh, comics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, they have a good selection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, they have a whole back wall. I was yeah. just, I was like in all in all when I went in there, and I was like, don't. I was like reaching for my like, wallet with my left hand, and my right hand was reaching over and trying to keep keep the wall in the pocket. <laughs> don't I'm do like, it. No. <laughs> And then they were like, if you buy nine, we give you the tenth one free. And I was like, uh, <laughs> get those punch cards going, get that free coffee. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's now, now that you guys are talking about Age of Sigmar, I find myself adding a start collecting Sylvaneth mm-hmm. box to the Ooh, cart right now. Sylvaneth are dope. Sylvaneth are dope. Mm-hmm. That one dude looks sick. The big guy. Yeah, the big guy. The whips. Awesome. Yep. The tree whip. Sylvaneth has some really cool models. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you, uh, how, how do they function? Do you know anything about them in Age of Sigmar? I have never played against them. No. Lavelle, have you played against Sylvaneth? No, I've watched them play. They, they seem to be, um, interdependent. They got a lot of funky movement going on. They can move in and around. I could be wrong here, but they seem to be dependent or they have a lot of extra abilities depending on the terrain. Hmm. Yeah, so I, 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 that was my impression, but I didn't watch them real closely. Maybe they used the cops of woods that we discussed in the last episode as yes, uh, some, yes. kind of, some kind of benefit. They can go in and out of them, I believe. They rock the cops. Have, have, have either of you guys been looking at the new, um, what is it, Snatch models? The, yes, yeah. What models? Slanesh. Yeah. Oh yeah, those guys. Yeah, they and so I think they which might if I'm reading this right, it looks like they're going to release Age of Sigmar and 40k Slanesh models at the same time. And is anybody following that? I've I've only seen it discussed as related to 40k, but that's okay, maybe totally I'm possible, I, totally possible. Yeah. Which would be really really awesome. It would be great, yeah. Um I do like those models. I have the same design issue with them as I do with some of the new Chaos Space Marine stuff, and that it does—they do look very fantasy. 
they do look like it, it looks very AOS. I feel the same way about the new Chaos Space Marine stuff. It does look very fantasy, but the uh, the Slanesh models are really the sculpts are really awesome. The, the way the bodies are put together and the the clothes or lack thereof is really, I think, really smart the way they're putting it together. So I look forward to seeing somebody locally uh, picking up a bunch of those stuff and putting them on the table. Yeah. Well, I think Clavel's right. I think they're. I could have sworn that Keeper of Secrets was like usable in uh, Sigmar and 40k. Mm. I don't know. They do. Do they do that a lot with the um, demon armies? Yeah, yeah. Demons are good for both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, one last hobby thing I've been doing. Um, Lavelle and I last week got in a game of Kings of War, so I quickly went out and took advantage of a big sale they were having on Miniature Market to add some boxes to my Kings of War army, so I can have what's called the battle-sized force, which is their largest and most commonly played at tournaments and such size. Wait, is it Kings army. of War or Wrath of Kings? Wrath of Kings, sorry. Wrath of Kings. Okay. What is Kings of War King- another game? Yes, yeah, yeah. Kings of War is a, a <laughs> Warhammer fantasy knockoff, if you will. Oh. I play Kings of War. And then there's therapy. of War Kings. Wrath. Also, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just wrath. Sorry, you I know I had it kings all backwards. Who make war. I had it all backwards. You're right. Yeah. No, hey, so, that, so, Car- so I'm talking about Carlo. Wrath of Kings. So I Carlo, so will you listen to me for a second, Carlo? I got hustle. Okay? That's what happened. There was no game there. I got hustle, Carlo. He came there and he said, I've never really played before. Uh is this how this works? Bam, 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 and start hitting me in my face. <laughs> I got hustled that game, but that's all Tim's right. Tim's planning know. his vengeance up- upon us for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I like the game. I, I read the whole book like in the last in the in, like the two days reading up to our game level, so it was like fresh on my mind. I was like really ready to get into it, and I was glad. I was glad we got in that first game. I did pick up the second book, which has the new uh, models in it and the the rest of the narrative. The um the first book for that game I really enjoyed because it was set up like a novel where there's a chapter. It starts off with a chapter about each of the five houses the five families, kind of, the five kingdoms. Um, and then it breaks into this narrative that kind of weaves them all together, and then the second book continues that narrative um, and introduces some new models. And I picked up uh, a number of uh, characters and specialists and another box of the troops, uh, quote-unquote, as much as their troops, um, to build out my army. So I've been painting those. Uh, they're really nice models. I'm not spending a ton of time painting them. I just kind of want to get them done and based and... Uh, in my bag so we can uh, get in some more games of that because it is a nice it's a really nice system the cards are well laid out it's easy to easy to play it's uh you know i'm winning so i'm i'm like 100 percent wins right now i've only played one game but i'm at 100 percent wins so i'm kind of stoked about that yeah right that it's out gonna, it's gonna it keep out. that going <laughs> okay man keep those victories flying all right cool uh we will take a break we will return with section two welcome scouts we'll see if we can get me any better at 40k stand by Welcome back. Crewshake in episode 23. Welcome, scouts. We're combining... Well, not really, based on the show notes. I thought we would combine Welcome Scouts and Tactical Upload, but then Lavelle at the last minute came in with a really good Tactical Upload section for this episode. So we're just going to call this one Section 2, Welcome Scouts. This Wait, one I want, to take, I want to talk about a problem that I have with games, especially when it's a campaign system like we're in right now with Sasha's Vigilist campaign. 
I want to talk about knowing the mission and knowing what it takes to win and playing to the objectives. This sounds really trite, but you know, I've been playing for a number of years and it's something that I always have to remind myself of and something that I always I don't get right sometimes is just knowing what it takes to score victory points. Being clear about what those rules are to get those victory points and just doing those things, right? And just sticking to that game plan to get victory points as opposed to, you know, shooting at all the shiny things and being, you know, too laissez-faire about, you know, the approach to the game, right? Especially when it's not a Maelstrom mission or it's not an Eternal War mission. When it's a mission I'm not totally familiar with, you really need to know the rules. You need to know what it takes to win. You need to have some kind of plan to get those victory points and you need to stick to that plan, not get distracted by targets on the table. How do you guys feel about this? Is it is it too basic to talk about in Welcome Scouts or am I is, is it a good thing to talk about because even experienced players sometimes don't put that little bit of extra time in before they get to the table to to really know what it takes to win the game. Hey, can I just make an observation? This is just this is really like my personal experience. Whenever I have ever, ever, ever played a woman, ever, she's always consistently reminded me to get back on task. Hmm. Always. And so you, you guys know Katie? Yeah. I played Katie in a couple of times, and a couple of times I'm making some decisions, and she just gave me a gentle nudge. That, that's okay, but that's not what the mission is. Mm. And my experience has been, you know, a lot of times you get, did you just shoot at me? Uh-uh. Okay, now I'm shooting everything at you. And you forget the mission. And you just kind of start cramming it at the it's other like, guy. It's like when you're watching Cutthroat Kitchen and the, the guy sabotages the other guy. And then that guy sabotages him back. And then they just go back and forth the whole time. And then the other people aren't spending money. Cause they're like, yeah, then you can, you're trying to figure out what <laughs> You know, I find that um, I've been in a lot of games where on the table – Mathematically, it looked like I was losing. It looked like I was losing. And a lot of my really good games, I would say by the beginning of the second turn, I'm like, I got him. Because even if, you, even if he tables me, things have to go a very specific way for him to beat me on objectives. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very good way to play. I, I love playing that way. Yeah, I feel like I get distracted by... For instance, in my game last week, and this happens pretty often, if I have a unit that I really like, meaning I think it looks good where I put it on the terrain, right? <laughs> and if it gets <laughs> shot off the table turn one, then for some reason, like, I have a tunnel vision, like, the rest of my army just has to destroy the unit that took off that good-looking unit that was in, the, in that really cool spot on the terrain, you know? <laughs> You'll pay for that! That's right. I get this real revenge-driven mindset, and it's not tactically sound at all. <laughs> Very chaos of you. Maybe I'm playing the wrong way. Maybe I need to get more chaotic <laughs> with it. I think, Maybe. That's what it is. I think you should go reminding. Are we recording this? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I I think <laughs> playing the mission is is really really important. Um, sometimes you just want to get out and push the plastic around, whatever. But playing the mission is really what gets you engaged in thinking. I played a two. I played a two v two. 5,000 point game um, this last Saturday. Um, it was Custodes and Blood Angels versus um, I can't remember what they were playing. <laughs> oh, I now I remember. It was Guard and um, um, some other chapter. Whatever. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, what I kept doing was I kept putting problems in front of them 
that had nothing to do with the mission. And they continued to respond. Mm -hmm. They continued to respond to those problems. And by doing that, by, you know, I, I, we get a few points. We get a few points. And then by the end of the third turn, that's when they, it, it dawned on them, there's no way we can win. And um, in fact, based on what you just did, there's not even a way for us to tie. Right. And that's how you have to do it. You have to play the mission. You have to understand what counts. Now, it used to be before chapter approved 2019, it used to be, um, well, if I can't get the mission, I'll table them. Right. And by tabling them, I can win. So then you can pound your way out. But one of the things that they did was they changed that um, with the new, they changed that with the new um, acceptable casualty rules that, so that that no longer happens. And that makes a really, really big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to, I have to, I have to really remind myself, and this shouldn't have to do this, but I'm, I'm, I'm having a humble moment right now. I got to remind myself sometimes that 40K is not just all about removing opponents' units from the table, right? It's about victory points. It's about doing and knowing what it takes to win and really knowing those rules. Yeah. I think that's why horde armies do so well because they don't always kill a lot, but they have staying power due to numbers. Mm. You know, where mm. you don't see that a lot with um, multi wound models. Like they're too susceptible. The, there's an, always a way to remove them from the table that's accessible, you know, sure. like uh, mortal wounds do a lot of damage to multi-wound models and stuff like that. Yeah. Lattice cannons. So, but so, how, how, wait, how, Carlo, how does that, how does that impact like mission play? Do you feel that horde armies do better in that regard? I think they, uh, simply because of horde armies outweigh you because of the, uh, objective secured rule. Most of the time people play horde armies, the, the, Horde units are always troops, right? So, orc boys, um, guard infantry, uh, you know, um, the Tyranids, I forget what they're called, uh, the um, Hormagants and Termagants. Hormagants and Termagants, right? You see a lot of those, and it's always these big mobs that can stretch all the way across the table and daisy chains and hold like. I think a lot of missions prevent you from holding two objectives with one unit, but it still gives you the option to be able to like pull guys off of this area or pull them out of the middle. So you have kind of have um, them protecting both objective objectives. You know what I mean? So, so you can let me contest objectives more. You can right. put, put you can physically block portions of the board and force your opponent to have to like chew through that that large mob where like if you have um, a, a small unit of really powerful guys, they're easy to kind of fly right over and position yourself around because uh, you know, that, that not being able to move within an inch of an enemy model is a big deal. And if you cover the board with your models, it really restricts your opponent's movement. So let me, let me share with you uh, a tactic that I've learned in playing with my custodies. Cause you know, that, Feels when you start playing with a, a very elite army, their their large hordes feels like a deficit that you can't necessarily overcome. What do you do? And so one of the things that I always employ, all of those horde armies have some point 
where they make themselves or you can make them susceptible to morale. So horde armies, when they you break their uh, their um, their defense against um, that morale phase, what happens is you can remove end up you can end up removing arm removing models during the shooting or fighting phase, and then again during the morale phase. So if you look at a Tyranid army, one of the things that you want to concentrate on is breaking the synapse. When you look at the orc boys, you what you got to get them below that point where all of a sudden they no, they no longer have that um, invulnerability to the morale phase. And I really like to constantly when I'm when I when I see a bunch of guys coming across the table like that, what do I need to do to make them susceptible to morale? Because they generally have a lower morale than I'm going to have, and kind of make them lose models in two phases. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good strategy. So, what do you do? You find yourself focus firing one unit at a time. I feel like that's the best way to handle that, right? Because you want to eliminate as many as possible, even if it means you might waste some shooting. You might go a little bit overboard with a unit. You kind of want to dump everything in the into one unit to make sure it's dead, right? So, turn turn one. I focus on. Let's say I'm playing a tier net player. Turn one. I try to focus my fire on whatever is granting. The synapse range, the synapse range, whatever's giving them that buff, I try to break that first. Either like you know, so like um, their their larger models tend to have more than than one wound, more than ten wounds. So even though they're characters, you can target them, and I can target them afar. I'm specifically talking about my custodies with my, with my Telemann, which does a tremendous amount of damage. And then the other guys, when they're coming across the table, you know, I can line up two rows of three to five uh, guard and, and the custodian guard, and they can hold their own against a horde. You know, they're throwing a bunch of dice, throwing a bunch of dice, and you go, okay, I'll take two wounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on what's going on. The other thing is, you know, when you got a fast movement, certain things, um, like for me, a large, the, the, tell me if you guys disagree with me, the single most deadly unit on the board that you can take in large quantities to me is the gene stealers. Oh God, they're so nasty. Yeah. So the gene stealers, not only are they good in close combat, they dish in a lot of damage. They can be, um, it's hard to break them. So you got to concentrate on those guys. Don't let those guys get in your line. Cause I don't care. I don't care how many custodian guards you have. You, gene stealers get in your line. You're going to fill it. That's going to leave a mark. Yeah. And so kind of, Thinking and knowing your opponent's um, army, you know, as soon as the guy brings his army out and tells me his plan, I'm whipping out my tablet and opening up his codex. <laughs> What's our intelligence on this unit? Right, right away, sir. <laughs> but I think um, there there are a lot of things when and even when you think about that, you know, because what we we started our topic on on the mission. When you think about it, you know, he's got his army. He's placing his army. You place your army. Remember what the mission is. Remember what the mission is. And typically, um, you know, that's one of the things. I play both Eternal War and Maelstrom. I play both a lot. Maelstrom can be a little bit of a wild card because you don't know what your objective is going to be. Versus an Eternal War when you go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, I got it. Any preference there for you guys between Eternal War or Maelstrom? We've talked about before how locally we tend to... I think I felt like a, like last year it was a lot of Maelstrom. I feel like there's a little bit more Eternal War now, but 
How do you guys feel about that? The difference between the two and preference. Yeah, I haven't played. Uh, I used to love Maelstrom. It used to be my favorite game set. I haven't played much of it this year, like you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to get back into it. It's just, um, I feel like generally, like most of the time, people don't want to deal with it. They feel like it's almost too cumbersome, mm-hmm. you know. But I feel like it adds a little, a uh, little randomization to the game. So I think generally competitive players don't like it as much oh. because they're. They design their lists, uh, um, and uh, I feel like most of the competitive scenarios, like you're never gonna. How often do you play a tournament, a competitive tournament, where they have Maelstrom cards? Right. Have so, you ever seen one? No, it's not happening. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Right. I think that's. Yeah. That's I think. I think Maelstrom is, is adds a randomness to the game. Um, I, this is just a general opinion here. I feel like Eternal War really tests your play, your ability to play from list building to last turn. Mm. Um, Maelstrom can be a little bit more random, and as a result of that, it can even out some differences in play level between the two players. Like, if you're a slightly better player or you're a better player than me, Maelstrom, because of the the randomness of it, could even us out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because of that random nature of it, yeah. Right. Cool. Well, I hope that was a helpful reminder to new and experienced players about playing to the mission, being familiar with what it takes to win the mission, knowing how to score victory points if it's a special narrative mission, etc. Uh, something I need to work on, really just uh, you know, taking time out of my busy day to, to get, especially in a narrative campaign where every week is a different uh, you know, set of objectives, a different way to score victory points. I just need to be more diligent about taking the time to know what it takes to win and then sticking to that plan that I can develop along with that list to take to the game to win that game. So at least I can be a little bit more competitive, give my opponent a better run for their money, and maybe have a little bit more fun at the same time, which would be awesome for all parties involved. doing these sections because it forces me to learn more about a part of the 40 again sometimes 30k myth and that i have never encountered before and this time we're talking about a good one the adeptus sororitas the daughters of the emperor the sisters of battle now this was before my time in 40k but they're in earlier editions they had their own codex they were a very popular army from what i'd gathered um they are making a return to the battlefield in new plastic miniatures that have been rumored and uh, revealed and rumored and revealed for the last couple of years, it feels like, right down to the fact that there's a a miniature codex inside Chapter Approved 2018, which we'll be talking about shortly. But I took a couple of notes here. We'll do a quick synopsis of who the Sisters of Battle are, uh, how they started, and what they could potentially bring to the game should they eventually be released in plastic models with their own codex, etc. So let's get this started. I will start us off, Lavelle, and... Uh, oh, yes, by the way, uh, Carlo has left us for the rest of this episode. He had uh, another commitment he had to attend to, so it'll just be Lavelle and I from here on out, almost, at least for Section 4. The Adeptus Sororitas. 
are the well-armed and all-female militant wing of the Adeptus Ministorum, or Ecclesiarchy. They are raised from birth to adore and worship the Emperor, and are therefore immune to the corrupting forces of chaos. So they are really steeped in the Emperor's myth. They are well trained and armed with the finest weapons that a human can carry, thanks to the immense wealth of the Ecclesiarchy. They are the perfect mix of training and praying, and fight with the fervor of the truly devoted. Now this is where it gets really interesting. Here's a little bit about their origin story. They were founded in the 36th millennium, during the Age of Apostasy, which we'll talk about in a second. When the leader of the church, the Ecclesiarch, was second only to the emperor himself. So that's during the Age of Apostasy. The Ministorum was all-powerful and drew the ire of other factions within the imperial government. To rally their support for the Ministorum Goge Van Dyer, the Ecclesiarchy tried to recruit the daughters of the Emperor, the Ecclesiarch, rather, tried to recruit the daughters of the Emperor, who were the sisters of battle, into his own private army. He did this by challenging a soldier to shoot him. The soldier did, and his hidden Rosarius field protected him from the shot. The daughters took this as a sign from the Emperor and allied with him. So they didn't know he had this Rosarius force field around him. They thought this was a holy act of the Emperor, so they sided with this Ecclesiarch. The Custodes were having none of these shenanigans and took the leaders of the daughters of the Emperor, as they were then called. Her name was Alicia Dominica. So the Custodes took Alicia Dominica deep into the palace to face the Emperor himself. We don't know what happened there, but they emerged and quickly beheaded Vandire for his treachery. So apparently meeting the emperor was a uh, was a meaningful thing for Alicia Dominica, no surprise there. And uh, she saw the, uh, the error of their ways and quickly righted them by beheading this, uh, this false pope of the emperor's church, as Lavelle so eloquently put it. So they're arranged or how they are organized, rather, uh, they are supposed to be led by an abbess, who is usually a high lord of Terra. But this post in the 41st millennium is currently vacant. Uh, and I have a note here, how convenient for the release of a new army and campaign book. Maybe we will meet the new abbess of the Sisters of Battle. They're divided hey, into... yeah. Tim, let me jump in here. You know, this is... Uh, of all the books, of all the codexes, of all the armies, this uh, one single faction, if you will, the Sisters of Battle, lends itself to a lot of different play styles. Um, they're divided, the, the entire Sisters are divided into different orders. There's the Order of the Valorous Heart, Order of, Mar of the Martyred Lady, Order of the Bloody Rose, Order of the Ebon Chalice, and Order of the Argent, Order of the Argent Child, and Order of the Sacred Rose. There's six of them right now, but each one plays differently. They have different uh, – I don't want to even say minuses. They have different abilities that make them a different type of army. And the thing about it is they have the ability, Games Workshop, to bring out different orders to adjust play style. So it's almost like being able to take one army, uh, Sisters of Battle, and then having different play styles and color schemes, the whole thing within that army. Kind of like you can do with the um, – the Adeptus Astartes. Sure, where so you they have, have different their own factions. Chapter tactics kind of thing going. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back in history just a little bit. Let's do it. 
the the sisters of battle. Uh, well, that's what we're going to call them. But, but the adeptus, the, these sisters had a huge role in the Imperium and still do today. They are the doctors, the hospital. They they do a lot of functions. They guard sacred sites. They guard pilgrims. They they lend aid, and they're an integral part of bringing. And when they find a world, bringing that world into the fold along with the Adeptus Ministorum. It's a really, really deep, um, in terms of lore, it's a deep army, a deep faction to explore. And even if you don't intend to play them, I really, really recommend that you learn about them. Because when you see them across the table, you're going to be subjected to cleansing fire by means of some of the best <laughs> flamers and melters you can find. <laughs> And walking and driving pipe organs that shoot both missiles and half flamers. I love that. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really good. The other thing that will take you a little bit by surprise when you play Sisters of Battles is I'm going to call them mini stratagems called Acts of Faith. Hmm. Now, they have their own acts, their own stratagems they can use just like everybody else. But these Acts of Faith and the way they accumulate faith points over the period of the game – that they can use and trigger to do special things in the game will leave you. If you you haven't seen them, when you play them, you'll be like, "What? What?" That'll be the that'll be the recurring theme for your army. Wait, what? Um, I've seen an army all in rhinos. Turn one, they just get to move up the table. And wait, what? <laughs> I wasn't worried about those flamers. I was going to shoot them back there, but Not now anymore. they're in my face. <laughs> yes, right. yes. They are pretty. They, as an army, they have some weaknesses, but um, if you look at any single unit, you might think, eh, maybe. But if you watch them play together and see how the the units kind of hang together, it's really, really good. I want to talk about some of the changes that took place. I ha I have both the um, the index. Remember when Index Imperium Two came out? Yeah. As well as the 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 mini codex or the codex that's now in chapter approved. I'm going to pause right here and give a commercial. Go for it. Chapter The releasing of armies and chapter approved as well as in White Dwarf to me is phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. I've been running around chasing several White Dwarfs just for that reason. I like to be able to read about all of the armies so I can see if I want to pick up a new army. Plus, I can also see what I could be facing the table. And this White Dwarf this insertion into White Dwarf is so slick. It's just like, oh, you know, here are the new rules, here are the new things, new missions. Oh, and by the way, here, here's a new army. Yeah. And it's a complete piece right in here. My favorite piece, I know I'm jumping around a little bit. My favorite piece is Celestine. Mm. I like the model. I love the wings. I like the, the spindly way it sits on the table. And Celestine as a model has a, def a couple of different abilities. Um, she can heal. She can come back to life, a la Gulliman, the way he can do it. And he, she's a pretty, she's a pretty potent close combat um, piece. One of the things that I've been hearing a lot of complaints, because you know when you go from the index to a, a army book, there's some changes. Celestine used to be a unit of three. It was her and her 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 superior, Gemini superior, who were her bodyguards all flying around. She's got a 12-inch move. What they did was they took the models, um, they took and separated them, and they made them a unit. I'm sorry, they made the superior its own unit. 
Um, it's still they still work best together. Um, she can bring them back to life as long as they're still on the table, as long as they haven't been completely, as long as they haven't been completely tabled. She can bring models back to life, and they can take wounds for her. But that was one of the changes that I didn't really get. Um, you know, I, I don't usually talk about power levels. Celestine is an eight power level, and the su- superior two power level. Mm-hmm. And they made that change. And when they made that change, I didn't really, I didn't really get why they did that. Because before she was an eight power level, when she came with the two people, it, it was to me it was a big difference. And you know, now they're taking an elite slot in your army, which can cause a problem. Don't they have some models or some units that said this does not take up a slot? Or am I thinking of a different game? No, no, there are some that do that, yeah. Oh, um, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I apologize. See, this, children, this is why reading is fundamental. <laughs> <laughs> the superior have a divine guardians. If your army is Battleforged, this unit does not take up a slot in the detachment. That includes Celestine. But they can nice. never have. But they can never have a warlord trade. Yeah. Yes, but you know what? The difference might be now that you could take them without Celestine. I don't know why you would. Maybe they're super, super cheap. But I, I don't know why you would. But right. yeah. Well, it's a guy. Look, I am on the podcast, learning and growing. Yeah. These the, the superior are definitely all about Celestine. Yeah. So I couldn't understand why they would move them out and make yeah. them. Their own unit. Yeah. They're 21 points per model. Which is pretty uh, pricey. And Celestine herself is 60. Yeah, points. for a, for a two-wound I'm model. sorry, 160. 160, 160. 160. Interesting. All right. So that's but, a 200-point model that can keep coming back. But let's, let, let's go back in time a little bit farther, Lavelle. Let's talk lore before we get into the rest of the pages of this uh, chapter approved. Because we should talk about the, uh, the different warlord traits and these... Um, uh, these these order convictions they're called, which apply to each of the sub factions, each of the sub uh, orders of the sisters. Let's talk a little bit about that age of apostasy, because this is a huge event that happened to the Imperium between the forty first millennium as we know it today and the Horus Heresy, which we're all pretty familiar with. But the age of apostasy is something that I'm a lot less familiar with. I think this was covered in some of those. Um, the Beast Arises series, which I have yet to read. That's another 12 or 14, whatever it was, uh, set of books that uh, I have yet to dive into. I think this covers that kind of middle period between the heresy and, uh, and the 41st millennium. So so the way, the way that I understand it from, from what research I've done so far is that the, the Age of Apostasy was a battle for... The battle over, really, whether or not the emperor was a was a god, right, was a divine being. It was kind of the imperial truth versus the uh, imperial cult, kind of. Um, it, it looks like, as you had explained earlier, it looks like there was this ecclesiarch who kind of spun himself as as the emperor's right hand man, his chosen pope. Uh, whether or not that was true uh, was not, uh, you know, uh, became clear at the end of the story, sort of. Um, but this did give rise to uh, the Sisters of Battle, this whole Age of Apostasy situation, which was a, uh, a, a civil war that consumed the Imperium of Man in the early 36th millennium. What do you know about the Age of Apostasy? 
So during the age of the apostasy, there was the, the church was set up, and the church is, is in the church is and they they have a seat on the high lords of terror, so they're they're part of the overall administration, if you will. Sure. And so this one guy, he decides, hey, well, you know what, um, you know, we're going to make we're going to wrap this whole thing around God, be, uh, emperor being God, and I'm going to be the high pope, and everything is going to come through me. And he wanted to take over the administration as well as subjugate the Astartes. And so at that time, the Astartes, they just completely ignored him. And they were like, OK, whatever. And it caused a lot of confusion and a lot of split within the um, the militant arms. And they began a crusade and the sisters sided with him. And they were going across, they were doing all of these things. But the problem with that period was. Um, it led itself to you, you remember the Horus heresy. Mm -hmm. So that the age of apostasy is the Horus heresy, if you will, for the, the Adeptus Ministorum, mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. And that's when they, 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 they I'm sure there was one for the Inquisition, but we're not allowed to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh -oh. <laughs> we'll redact that. <laughs> right. Yep. So um, during the age of apostasy, there was a big religious war going on. But it was being fought over control of the Imperium. And it was the Adeptus Custodes. And, you know, if you read any of the books that include the Adeptus Custodes, they understand the role of everything. They understand the role of the church. They understand the entire plan, if you will, of the emperor. This is the plan and this is how it's supposed to play out. Right. And so they were like, okay, this is crazy. This is crazy. So we could go out here and, and wreck the sisters of battle, but we need them. And we don't think, we think that they're being misguided and not that they're being, um, we're, we're being misguided and not that they're being um, uh, rebellious. And that was that approach. But I'm deviating just a little. Didn't the word bearers want to do the same thing? Yeah, yeah. This was the uh, the uh, you know the launching of the imperial cult would have uh, would have pleased the word bearers back in the day for sure. This is sort of continuing the mission they had before they were uh, you know corrupted by the forces of chaos and uh, and uh, you know went to the dark side. You would have think that this dude would have picked up on this. He would have had a hand in it. I would have thought yes, but he was uh, long gone in the eye of terror at that point. So peace out to Lorgar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, during, during the age there was a lot of things that if you will a lot of things that went wrong this is called of, this is called one of the bloodiest periods of the imperium ever right after the horus heresy which tells which says to me this is a lot like uh like we would know the the you know like the crusades to be here in uh you know the modern slash ancient era of human history this was a, a purge of people who were not seeing eye to eye with this um ecclesiarch goge at first or goji at first i don't know how you say it g-o-g-e um so it's it's a super bloody period of this of another civil war altogether so a, a couple of things when you think about the um when you think about the imperium and I'm going to say it because I've been doing a lot of stuff with it. You often want to compare it to Star Trek. You, you often want to compare it to the Federation. But the Imperium, by my estimation, is much bigger than the Federation. And 
has inferior technology, especially around travel and communication. And it's easy for um, it's easy for worlds and people to get the wrong message for things to be misconstrued. In fact, if you're on 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 uh, Tim Prime, a system way out in the middle and you're the governor, you could decide to do anything. It could be, you know, two, three centuries before they could not centuries, but, you know, generations before they catch up with you. Right. Right. And there's also there's also a mix. There's a bit of Star Wars in here, too. There's a bit of recent Star Wars stuff in that. Um, I'm reading here from uh, the uh, Warhammer 40K wiki page. Uh, the chapter masters of the Adeptus Astartes and the fabricators of the Adeptus Mechanicus began to voice their concerns. The fabricator general of Mars and the, Mars and the very highest servants of the machine god issued a demand to the holy synod of the ecclesiarchy. The high, lord, the high lord had to be immediately indicted and called to account for his deeds. In response, Van Dyer dissolved the council of the high lords of Terra and ordered what forces he had left to assault those of the Adeptus Astartes and the Adeptus Mechanicus who questioned his authority. I don't know much about Star Wars, but that sounds like uh, something the bad guy from the, you know, the the, the the emperor, the emperor, right? This sounds like something the emperor would do. You know, you disagree with me, I'm going to get rid of the body that gives you a voice to disagree with. Um, and meanwhile, it sounds like the Astartes and the Mechanicus were kind of looking at across the table, thinking, "Well, something's not quite right here. This guy's getting too powerful. Why are we feeling like we're on the outside all of a sudden?" And then clearly they got together and and uh, you know tried to right these wrongs. Yeah, meanwhile, all of this is going on. They're doing their thing, and the, 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 the soldiers of chaos are just rolling out of the eye of terror, smacking people around. Yeah. A vast army of Adeptus Mechanicus tech guards spearheaded by four chapters of Space Marines, Imperial Fists, Firehawks, Soul Drinkers, and Black Templars launched themselves towards Terra to besiege the Ecclesiarchal Palace in the 36th millennium in what became known as the Terran Crusade, the Terran listen, Crusade. Listen to this. During this time, Van Der has considerable trouble bringing the Adeptus Astra Telepathica under his control. Lord Phaedrus, the master of the Adeptus Astra Telepathica, was a potent psyker and as such was not swayed by Van Der's charisma or charm. Mm. Phaedrus saw through his veil of lies and deceits and understood the corrupt High Lord's true intentions. He realized that Vander realized that Phaedrus was using his considerable psychic ability to stay one step ahead of him and simply killing him would never do for he would just be placed by a powerful psyker of equal potency. And be, be, to do that, he had to uh, implement cunning and you know what he called out? Mm. His old trusty Calexus. Uh-oh. <laughs> that, that's right. Always an assassin on hand. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so that that's how he dealt with it. The even though it does look a little like anarchy, there is certain balances set into the system. Um, and that is the te- telepathica, the uh, mechanicum, the astarte, everybody having a seat at the table. And yeah. that's a critical part without the guiding hand of the emperor's master plan. Which they don't have. So, drilling back down to specifically the Sisters of Battle, yeah. once those guys, ladies, <laughs> once those ladies had really um, militarized, it was really hard to stop them. 
I think a concerted effort by any Astartes chapter could bring the sisters to hill. Like, a, you know, then, you know, the space wolves come after you, you can forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think, I think that the Vandier at the time did a lot of machinations to prevent all the lining and saying, hey, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Causing enough doubt and, and, and talking enough about what was in the uh, best interest of the emperor, of the empire, of the imperium and what the emperor wanted. And I think all of that kind of is where it all came to a piece to a close when he lost his only militant arm. Yeah. 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 Because it was before this that they were forbidden to have a, um, there was some other incident that forbade them to have a military, uh, any men in arms. That's what Uh, I say. Right. And then they, they, they decided they came up with the sisters of battle as the females in arms. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take them. And everybody said, seems fair. Here's a quote that I found. This is what Alicia Dominica said to Van Dyer prior to beheading him. So this was after she was brought into the Emperor's presence by the Custodes. This is uh, her and a few other sisters who confronted him within his own chambers. And these words are engraved upon the black marble of her sarcophagus. This is cool. This is uh, Alicia Dominica to Van Dyer, the Ecclesiarch. You have committed the ultimate heresy. Not only have you turned your back on the Emperor and stepped from his light, You have profaned his name and almost destroyed everything he has striven to build. You have perverted and twisted the path he has laid for mankind to tread. As your own decrees have stated, there can be no mercy for such a crime, no pity for such a criminal. I renounce your lordship. You walk in the darkness and cannot be allowed to live. Your sentence has been long overdue, and now it is time for you to die. With that, she took off his head with her power sword. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, um, both of the all-female armies, and but you know what? As I as I look as you look in this codex, um, as you look in in the Sisters of Battles codex, one of the things that there are units that are not that they have um, that are not all female the missionary Mm -hmm. they have a particular priest uriah jacobs Mm -hmm. um i think the preacher model i don't think is a right i think those are the only ones yeah but the other all-female um force is the sisters of silence and i there's been rumors right now that they may be bringing out sisters of silence pieces um, as their own army, and I guess the same way they did this. Those two armies, you know, they're re- narratively, they're really, really fun to play. I have enough to kind of hobble together a Sisters of Silence force. I don't have enough for this uh, Sisters of Battle. But, you know, both of those armies have a different flavor to them and a different type of power that they bring to the table. The acts of faith, which we'll get into in a minute, are are particularly powerful. But the um, progressive way that the Sisters of Silence impact psychers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get a couple of those. I've had a couple of those units on the table and I've I've caused a problem for Magnus. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the army um, 
what, what, what do you want to start with? You, yeah, they, I'm, I'm, let's let's start on page ninety four of chapter approved twenty eighteen, the fury of the righteous. Um, if you you get, they're kind of like chapter tactics. They're called order convictions here on page ninety five, and depending upon which order you pick, you get this uh, this particular um, this particular conviction. Uh, it says here, if your army is all battle forged. Um, all infantry units of an Adeptus Sororitas detachment gain an order conviction, so long as every unit in that detachment is from the same order. So much like the different forge worlds of the Admech, you can mix different detachments and receive different, uh, you know, different benefits. Uh, but they have to be, you know, t- detachments have to be all of one thing. Um, but let me let me jump in here and say there are certain elements of the army that are not with an order. And so just like in other armies, you can take them without breaking out of the order. Celestine, the superior, they don't have an order. Gotcha. So you can put them with any order. The Hospitaller, um, which is a, a, a kind of a medic, but it's pretty powerful too. The Dioglis, the Pen of the Engine, all of these things you can add to that and still keep your conviction. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so the Order of the Val- of the Valorous heart the order of the valorous heart has the following order conviction and lavelle why don't you just we'll just back and forth these together so i'll do the first one this is called stoic endurance like their patron saint lucia those of the order of the valorous heart are willing to bear any agony in the name of atonement such is their willingness to suffer for their cause that they can shrug off seemingly mortal wounds without breaking a stride this plays out as such each time a model with this conviction loses a wound on a d6 roll a thick roll a six and the wound is not lost so they get a six up feel no pain essentially that's, that's right that's the order of the valorous heart next is our martyred lady the blood of martyrs so dedicated are the sisters of the order of our martyred lady that nothing can keep them fulfilling from fulfilling the their emperor given duty when the fighting is fiercest and the casualties highest these holy warriors fight with renewed conviction and purpose, inspired by their desire to avenge the fallen. Each time a unit with this conviction from your army is destroyed, you gain one faith point. We're going to talk a little bit more about these faith points. Okay, yeah, we'll have to circle back on that. Next one is the Order of the Ebon Chalice. Daughters of the Emperor is the name of this conviction. The Order of the Ebon Chalice is the oldest of the Order's militant, and it is said that they, above all others, bear the blessing of the Emperor's divine grace. That means you add one to the result of tests of faith for units with this conviction. So that's plus one to test of faith rolls, but we'll get into what that is in just a second. Next is the Order of the Argent Shroud. Deeds, not words. It is the strong belief of those within the Order of the Argent Shroud that one's conviction is best shown through bold action. Thus is battle the best way to prove their unquenchable faith. For there may for there there they may smite the Emperor's foes and demonstrate the depth of their devotion. Mm. And it plays out like this. Each time an enemy unit is destroyed by a unit with a with this conviction, roll a D six. On a four plus you gain a faith point. Okay. So a lot of this is going on, we're gaining faith points. Mm-hmm. The Order of the Bloody Rose, quick to anger, is their conviction. Once their battle fury is roused, none prosecute the wars of the Adeptus Ministorum with greater fervor than do those warriors who belong to the Order of the Bloody Rose. That means you add one 
to the strength and attacks characteristics of a model with this conviction during any turn in which it made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention. That's great. So if they charged, if they were charged, or if they performed a heroic intervention, that's plus one strength, plus one attacks. That's awesome. That's the Bloody Rose. The last one is the Order of the Sacred Rose. Devout Serenity. The Sisters of the Order of the Sacred Rose are renowned for their calm and implacable resolve in battle. Even in the face of overwhelming odds, the ears the ears of St. Arabella stand unyielding. A unit with this conviction can never lose more than one single model as a result of any single failed morale test. That's kind of like the Dark Angels. Mm-hmm. In addition... When I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I Did said you just that. Slip that in there? How'd you just slip that in there? <laughs> uh oh. Now there's going to be trouble. Uh oh. In addition, when a model with this conviction fires Overwatch, a five or a six is required for a successful hit roll, irrespective of the model's uh, ballistic skill or any modifiers. So they're over. So they can only lose one in any morale phase. Wow. And they. I mean. Okay, so what made me say that is I have a, a unit of a Krieg, mm-hmm. and they can't ever use anything through shooting. So you don't count those models. But in any loss, they can only lose one, and they always do Overwatch on five or six. I like the Sacred Rose. That's cool. Mm. So, so those are the convictions. Those are sort of their chapter tactics, if you will. That's the Order of the Valorous Heart, the Order of Our Martyred Lady, the Order of the Ebon Chalice, the Order of the Argent Shroud, the Order of the Bloody Rose, and the Order of the Sacred Rose. Now, in that list of convictions, we heard about faith points, and we heard about tests of faith. So let's review what they are. So, you know, faith points are... Um... I'm going to just use this term. They're almost like many stratagems that can be used. Instead of using your, your, your command points, you get to use faith points. And the warriors of the faith have all kinds of things available to them. I'm going to read some of them. So usually when you take a, a, a act of faith, um, when you um, each one has a devotion value. Okay. And so I'm going to read one right here. One is the hand of emperor. The devotion value is four. Use this act of faith at the start of your movement phase. If successful, add three inches to the selected unit's move characteristic until the end of that phase. Okay. The devotion value, I'm going to make sure that I get this right, is what you have to roll. So there are a bunch of – isn't that what it is? So um, what, what what page are you on, sir? Oh, you're okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay. Warriors of the Faith. Yes, okay. So you start with three faith points with the Sisters of Battle army. You get one additional faith point for every ten models with this ability in your army. They can be spent on the acts of faith listed below. So – each right, one can this, only be tempted once per battle round, and you must one you must spend one faith point each time you do so. Wait, wait what did you just say? Each can be only each can only be attempted once per battle round, just like using a. Uh, Okay, okay, I got you. Got you. Uh, Select a unit in your army that has the Acts of Faith ability, and then choose the Act of Faith you wish to attempt. Then make a Test of Faith for that unit by rolling a d6. If the result is less than that Act of Faith's devotion value, or is an unmodified roll of one, test fails and nothing happens. Otherwise, it is 
it is successful. So one always fails, and you have to roll at least, for instance, for the hand of the emperor, you got to roll a four. Yeah. So listen, so you have to roll a four. You pick a unit, you roll a four, and um, you roll a four, and then you can move that unit that you selected that has that ability um, three inch, extra inches. However, remember, the Ebon Chalice told us if we are of that conviction, you can add one to the results. So this would make that a three or better. Right. Gotcha. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Next one is Spirit of the Martyr, which has a devotion value of three. Again, you should use this at the start of your movement phase. If successful, one model in the selected unit regains D3 lost wounds. Or if there are no wounded models in any, and any models in the unit that have been slain, you can return one slain model to the unit with one wound remaining. Wow, that's cool. Has to be set up in coherency and not within one inch of uh, enemy models, etc. So this the, we see a lot of this next one, Aegis of the Emperor, which is a devotion value of three. Um, you use it at the start of the opponent's psychic phase until the end of the phase. Roll, uh, you select a unit, and you're going to roll on, on every time they receive a mortal wound, and on a four plus, you ignore that mortal wound. So it's like a smite, feel no pain kind of thing. Right. Hmm. The um, what is it called? The custodies have that, but it's a six plus. Next one is Divine Guidance. This has a devotion value of four. Use this act of faith at the start of your shooting phase, and you get plus one for attacks made with this unit's ranged weapons until the end of the phase. So that's a four up, or a three up with the uh, with the appropriate devotion, and you get plus one on your hit rolls for the shooting right. phase. So now, I hope you're sitting down, Tim. The Passion. It does have a devotion value of five. Use this act of faith at the start of your fight phase. If successful, the selected unit can be chosen to fight with twice in that phase. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So you get some bloody rows with plus one and plus one attacks. Yes. And you get them rolling on the passion. So they're fighting twice, plus one strength, plus one attacks. That's badass. Right. Now, I saw what I saw in the army, because this person I saw playing, they were obviously really prepared. They fought, right? And they wiped out a unit. And then they piled into another unit. And then they fought again. That's amazing. Yeah, that was pretty. <laughs> yeah. It looked amazing to me. I'm sure the guy on the receiving end didn't think that. That's great. Yeah, he probably quoted the, wait, what? <laughs> although, although, okay, so although Bloody Rose is during any turn in which it made a charge move or was charged. All right, so you need that to get the plus one. But still, you're you're fighting twice. That's pretty badass. I like that. Right. So listen, they charge. They got plus one strength, plus one attacks, Mm -hmm. right? And they wipe a unit. Um, So they charge, then they they pile in, and then they consolidate. And if they can touch the other unit in that consolidation, they can get within one inches, then they can pile in and do it again. But then that's... Oh, it's, still any, the it's any turn. Okay, sorry. Yes. It's not any phase. It's any turn. I see. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So it is still plus one and plus strength. Right. I see. I, I misread the fine print there. That's great. Cool. The next one is Light of the Emperor. This has a devotion value of three. Use this act of faith at the start of the morale phase. If successful, the selected unit automatically passes morale tests for that phase. That's cool. All right. Now, so let's talk about some other things, the abilities that you got to watch. Almost all the units have Shield of Faith, which is a six plus invulnerable. Um, and if they have shield of faith, they can attempt to deny one psychic power. 
The only problem with that is um, they only roll a D6. Ah, interesting. I mean, that might stop that might stop a poor smite. Sure. But this is the one that I also, you know, we just talked about the passion where you fight twice. And we talked about the Order of the Bloody Rose where you get plus one if you charge. If they have the Zealot ability, you can re-roll fail hit rolls for the unit in a turn in which they charge, was charged, or perform a heroic intervention. Wow. Choppy, choppy. Wow. That, this, this is this is kind of a cooler army than I thought. This is great. So you could put you could put a bunch of these ladies in a rhino, get them as close as possible to something, and really go at it like you would if you were um, um, we're, uh, world eaters. Yeah. This is what I tell people all the time. You know what? You gotta know because if somebody puts these out across the table for you, you're not gonna know. You're gonna think, eh, no problem. But then you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> then you have a problem. That is absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. Cool. So these are considered the tests of faith. Is the role and the uh, yeah? Okay, gotcha. So you, so going back to the uh, page ninety five, looking at those convictions. So Eben Chalice gives you plus one to those test of faith rolls. And our martyred lady, if you lose a unit, you get an additional faith point. And with Argent Shroud, if you destroy an enemy unit on a four-up, you gain a faith point. Yes. All right. Let, let's take a minute to talk about some of the units as it related to what we just read. Yeah. Okay. The Arco Flagellants. Mm. Okay. Great models. They have a seven-inch move. Their weapon skills are three plus. I don't know why they even bother to have it. They have a seven-plus save. <laughs> you know, why, why even come to the party? They are going to fall. <laughs> right. But... They do have that zealot rule yeah. if they charge. And so these guys are charged. You know, they have a seven-inch move, and they could charge potentially 12 inches. So what's that, a 19-inch threat range? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can give them that plus three to their move. Remember that one? Yeah, and it doesn't take up a slot in a detachment that includes any priests because they're led right. by the police. The priests, rather. That's cool. Okay, but every time the model loses a wound, they have a five up, feel no pain. Each one has two attacks, plus plus one strength, minus one AP, one damage. But listen to this: make D three hit rolls each time the model attacks with the weapon. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So they can that's do good. some damage. Um, but do, do they get do they get the axe of faith, or do they get a um, conviction? Um. I thought the battle conclave gave them that. So this is uh, this is if you I'm looking up on page 94, the order convictions to see if they do get this stuff. All order infantry units in an adeptus sororitas detachment. Do they, they do not have acts of faith? They do not. No. They do not have acts of faith. They do not have an order attached to them necessarily. Neither does the preacher. Neither does the archoflagellants, the assassins, the Crusaders, the Diagolus, and the Hospitaller. Okay. So, the, so, the, so there are some things that they can that can be accompanying them that do not get those benefits. That's good to know. Okay. I did not know that. That is good to know. Just the, like the penitent engines can't take it. Uh, yeah. Well, they wouldn't be infantry anyway, right? Those are uh, heavies. Yeah, those are heavy supports. The Penitent so Engine these... is a pretty great model, though. I do love the Penitent Engine. It's like a a Grey Knight, um, 
It's like you know one of those baby big, carrier. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So the it, I I tell everybody. I hope everybody already picked up their chapter approved eighteen because you got to have your chapter approved. But I, I would tell I tell everybody study these models, watch battle reports, whatever you need to do because you got to understand what these ladies are going to do to you across the table. Yeah, because I've seen model, I've seen some battle reports where they hung on to the last you know, four or five models and won the game. But like, yeah. So I think what you just said is key, right? I, forgive me. I was partially paying attention there. The, uh, uh, you can win a game with very few models remaining with these, with, with this army, right? Just like with the Admech, it's they're they're a T3 infantry army. They do get blown off the table pretty quickly, but you can take enough of them where you can still get those victory points end of game to, to be hanging onto objectives or doing whatever you need to do. Yes. Because they are not super expensive. These uh, point-wise, these are not super expensive. So let's let's let if we could drill down just a little bit before we get to warlord traits and and um, and stratagems. Let's just talk a little bit about this model that you just brought up, and that is the penitent engine, mm -hmm. which is the the cost of the penitent engine starts at seventy-two points. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's, it has a seven-inch move, a weapon skill of three. Ballistic skill of five, strength five, toughness six, seven wounds, four attacks, four plus save. It's rocking a heavy flamer, okay? But what I want to talk about is, and I just like saying this word, the penitent buzz blade. <laughs> wow. Yes. You know, when you get subjected to the penitent buzz blade, you've done something wrong. Let me let my phone stop ringing. Can you hear it? Nope, you're good. Okay. The oh, penitent no, the, yeah, blood. Now, now I can hear it. Sorry. Hang on. Okay. Give it a second. Do, do, do. Don't think I'm doing the podcast. <laughs> you're working here. So the penitent buzz blade is strength times two. So that jacks the strength up to 10. Minus three AP, three damage. Now. That's all well and good, except for this one has the zealot rule. Mm -hmm. So it can re-roll fail rolls to hit on a charge phase and on a turn to charge. And the unit can fight twice in each fight phase instead of only once. That's the desperate for redemption rule. Yeah, and for an 86-point model with the flamer, a seven-wound model for 86 points that can fight twice at strength 10, AP minus 3, 3 damage on those Bud Blades, that is pretty badass. Wow. But listen, you can, this is a unit of one, but you can add two more units to the same and take up one heavy slot. Yeah, you'd need to take up, you need to take three of these. This is nice. <laughs> wow. With yeah. That, could... that seven inch move, you're going to get in there. That's great. Hmm. So listen now. Because it's a unit of three. Oh, but they, again, no acts of faith. Acts of faith. Okay, I'm cheating here. <laughs> yeah, you don't get any acts of faith, right? They don't have an order attached to them, right? These are just the engines. Yeah. Super right, cool, so though. Let, let's, let's go on. Let's talk about some of the... Um, have, have you seen this play? I don't think that I have in the last year or so. It's been at least a year. Probably since Nova, to like the year before last, maybe. Okay, so let's talk about some of the Warlord traits. Yeah, let's do it. We're on page 98 of the uh, uh, Chapter Approved 2018. So Aspiring Orator is the first one. 
You can reroll failed morale tests for friendly units while they are in with the, of the same order while they are within six inches of the warlord trait. This is a pretty standard one. Um, we see it a lot. And models can use the warlord's uh, command fate. I mean, um, leadership. Leadership, right, right. Next one is righteous rage. This is you can reroll. You can reroll failed charge rolls for this warlord. In addition, if this warlord made a charge move, has was charged, or performed a heroic intervention, you can reroll failed wound rolls it made for uh, until the end of the fight phase. So you're rerolling wounds till the end of the fight phase, and you can reroll charges. That's pretty badass too. Righteous rage is awesome. Wow. Execution of heretics. I think I just found my next tattoo. Subtract <laughs> <laughs> so, so one from the leadership characteristics. Of enemy units while they are within six inches of your warlord. To be followed by Beacon of Faith. At the start of your turn, roll a d6. If this warlord is on the battlefield on a four up, you gain one faith point. That's good. Yeah, so you you know what I realized? You are limited for how many command points you can get, but not faith points. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Indomitable Belief. The invulnerable save of friendly units um, with the Shield of Faith ability is improved to five plus while they are within six inches of the warlord. Wow. That's pretty decent. And Shield of Faith was that six up feel no pain. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Pure of Will. Your warlord can attempt to deny one additional psychic power in each enemy psychic phase as described in the Shield of Faith ability. In addition... No, sh- no Shield of Faith is what gives you a six up invulnerable save. And um, Indomitable Belief raises it to five. Oh, I see. Okay. And then Pure of Will allows you to – okay. In addition to that, it allows you to deny a psychic ability. Yes. And Pure of Will allows you to subtract one, um, and they can deny an additional – Gotcha. In addition, yep. the enemy psyker must subtract one. That's pretty good. Yeah, because Shield of Faith reads it has a six-up invulnerable save. In addition, you can deny with one d6. Right. Okay. That's that's the uh, the pure of will buff. That's cool. Now they only have two 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 um, pages of uh, stratagem, but most of the stratagems are one CP. I love one CP stratagems. <laughs> This is interesting, too. Before we get into stratagems, Lavelle, at the end, at the bottom of page 98, with regards to warlord traits, uh, if Celestine is your warlord, she must be given the beacon of faith warlord trait, which is a four-up, you gain one faith point. If Uriah Jacobus is your warlord, he must be given the righteous rage warlord trait, which is um, re-rolling charges and re-rolling wound rolls at the end of his fight phases. Cool. It's like giving a, a, a named character a, a standard warlord trait yeah. that they always carry around. Yeah, I like that. And with regards to stratagems, we don't have to go through all of these, but uh, to, to speak of a good one here, Holy Trinity, this is uh, one CP. Before shooting in the in Adeptus Astoris, use the stratagem before shooting with a Sororitas unit in the shooting phase. If that unit targets all of its attacks at the same target, and that target is within range of at least one model in the unit firing a bolt weapon, one other model firing a flamer weapon, and one other model firing a melter weapon, add one to all wound rolls made for this firing unit until the end of the phase. For the purposes of the stratagem, the bolt weapon is any you know has to include the word bolt, etc., etc., etc. For uh, flamer and melta. So if you have a mixed weapon squad of bolters, flamers, and meltas, you get uh, 
You get plus one to wounds. That's with Holy Trinity of those three weapons. That's kind of cool. With Bolter, Flamer, and Melta, the foe is purged. That's great. One command point. So listen to this. I like this one. I just like the way – I just like to picture it. Extremist trigger word. Now, it is 2 CP. Use this stratagem in the fight phase when you pick an Arcoflagellant unit to fight. Until the end of that phase, replace the unit's Arcoflagellant ability with make three hits rolls for each – um, attack made this weapon to roll a d6 <laughs> and that's how many hit rolls they have at the end of the phase roll a number of d6 equal to the number of hit models in the that unit for each roll of six one model in the unit is slain oh i see so this is instead of rolling d3 for additional get, attacks you get three get hits three. great and at the end on a six, you get a, a one. One model is killed just because I just, just, just because. Some, yeah. right. Kill bots, go! <laughs> just because. Ooh, I got Susie there. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. So listen to this one. So you know they have bolters. Yeah. Okay. Well, one CP blessed bolts. Use this stratagem before shooting with your Adeptus Serratus infantry unit from your army in the shooting phase. And to the end of the phase, change the AP characteristics of storm bolters that models in that unit are armed with to minus two, and their damage characteristic to two. Oh, that's a good one. Wow. Yeah, they can do. They can lay down some hurt. And that's one CP. That's really good. Yeah. Here's an interesting one too. Burning descent. Seraphim arrive on the battlefield in a blaze of glory, spreading fire from on high to scour the foe as they descend. So you use this stratagem after a Seraphim squad unit from your army is set up on the battlefield using its Sky Strike ability. You can immediately shoot with that unit as if it were your shooting phase, and for those attacks, the range of that unit's hand flamers is increased to 12 inches. This does not prevent it from shooting again in the following shooting phase. So they come in, they are 9 inches away from an enemy model, but... They now can shoot with flamers that shoot 12 inches. That's kind of nice. Burning descent. I like that. Yeah, you know what? These guys have the uh, three-up save, and they have angelic visage, which has improved their invulnerable save for the unit for the Shield of Faith ability by one to a maximum of three plus. I got to tell you, Lavelle, I'm kind of getting into this army. There's some really cool things you can do with this. Yeah. Huh. So I, here, I, see here, why, I see why potentially these could be very popular if they come out in plastic. I, I think they are. I'm pretty sure they are. I think that's going to be the case. Yeah, They're going to be popular, right? Yeah, here's the thing that I always tell people, to, you know, um, even, you, you got to read this so you don't have that moment across the table where you're like, wait, you could do what? <laughs> yeah, it's like that moment I had last week playing the uh, the Scions with all their plasma rerolls. I was like, really? Wow, really? <laughs> That's not fair. Wow. I've never, ouch. Ooh. <laughs> that's going to leave a mark. Yeah, that's going to leave a mark for sure. Well, these are great. Um, I also, um, as we were chatting, I was clicking through the Black Library website, and I added the Sisters um, Omnibus to my uh, cart. I think I'm going to read the Omnibus on these uh, Sisters of Battle, because obviously there's some really cool history there. It goes back to that 36th millennium, that period of the imperial history that I don't know a ton about. So I'd like to be a little bit more knowledgeable there without having to read the whole, um, you know, the entirety of the Beast Arises series. So hopefully there's some good history in the the Sisters of Battle Omnibus, which I think is all by James Swallow. So So now there's a YouTube video series called Hell's Reach that I, I... If you haven't watched it, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. In the last 
uh, episode of that, we see some sisters battle. Sisters, some sisters of battle do their thing. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's just amazing. It's I like it. Amazing. I um I'm 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 psyched for this. I'm glad they are going to be coming out in plastic. I'm, I'm I'm I know people are going to be picking them up and putting them on the table. I think locally somebody in our meta will be uh playing with them, which is pretty cool. I look forward to seeing them, and uh, I'll keep my eye on the uh, army building possibilities for myself. I do like these those arcoflagellants have always been a favorite of mine. Those penitent engines look awesome to get three of those rolling across the table and attacking a ton of things would be really awesome. And uh, Celestine is, uh, you know, I always, I liked the Celestine character from the... Uh, um, I know what you're talking about, the story? Yeah, the three the three books that came out at the end right. of 7th. Um, Rising uh, Storm. Thank you, the Rising Storm. The Gathering Storm books, right? Gathering, Gathering Storm. Storm. That's right, cool. L- listen to this, though. It's nothing better than being able to be in your meta and see a diversity of armies. Uh, not just visually, but being able to play different types of armies... And to be able to say who plays this and then be able to mix and match that, it it adds so much more depth and fun to the game. Awesome. With that, we will take a short break. We'll come back in a moment and we will wrap this episode 23 right up. Do stay tuned. Section 6, The Chosen, wrapping up the episode. Thank you for sticking with us for episode 23. As we do in every episode, let's talk about something that has stood out to each of us in the hobby that we can hip our listeners to, that they might be interested in. Before we wrap up the show, um, I will start, I think I talked about it uh, in season 1, but I was reminded of how cool they are, and I'm going to try to order more tomorrow. Um, These are called Card Caddy Deck Boxes. So I picked these up at Adepticon a couple of years ago. They were developed by a company called Narrows Hill Games, which the owner admits is a failed company. I found a very frank blog post about this just yesterday from the owner of Narrows Hill Narrow Hill Games, who developed this product, who got the patent for it, who manufactured them and tried to sell them. He did a kick, he did three Kickstarters. He tried to get them distributed through various game channels, etc. But it's worth going to narrowhillgames.com, which is their website. Let me verify that that's the site while I'm chatting. Um, But it's a really good deck box because it can hold uh, one or two decks of cards. It's a hard plastic case, and I like it because it can slip into the front pocket of my battle foam bags more easily than some of the, um, you know, the more traditional Magic the Gathering sized deck boxes, like the ones that have the little dice tray at the bottom. Like I like those too, but I feel like I absolutely have to take another bag to put that box in. Whereas with these card caddy cases, they are narrow enough just to slip in, you know, objective cards and stratagems and, and uh, psychic powers, etc. They fit uh, sleeved cards. Uh, they open up in such a way so that they the two halves of the box stick back together again. Uh, to form like a discard pile thing. Uh, you can put a poker chip in the front of it if you have like a, you know, a chapter or a legion-themed uh, disc you could stick in there to, to so you know what kind of deck it is, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why you do that, but you could. Um, but the website is narrowshill.com. 
com. It looks like a fully functioning website. I'm, I shot him an email today to see if he still has these for sale. I'd like to get another, another box of these. They have a, a little uh, accessory kit where you can put dice, and it has a little counter thing on the top with these pegs if you want to track um, stratagems or just, you know, uh, command points or victory points, etc. You can do that on the outside of the box. It's a nicely designed little system. I like the fact that he had a really frank blog post about why this as a viable business to support him and his family did not work. It was a really cool, very frank account of how a, uh, a good idea can uh, can prove to be unprofitable and too difficult to maintain as a, as a sole source of income. Um, so I wanted to give him some props and throw him some business. Um, I'm going to order another five-pack uh, at narrowshill.com. That's the card caddy card case. Laval, what do you have for us for The Chosen? You know, my, my selection is a little bit different rather than something that I recommend that you uh, go out and get. I want to talk about something that you should consider going out and giving. Think about your local hobby store where you play games, where wherever it is. Think about donating some terrain. Um, it takes a lot to put on a tournament. It takes a lot for you to be able to go there and be able to play. And I happen to have a lot of terrain. And I keep my terrain and I keep everything about it. But you know what? Recently, I donated an, an entire table, a sand table that I had. Custom, it wasn't expensive. Custom, that great custom terrain I told you about. And a fat mat to the gamer's heaven. And I'm putting together a similar package for red caps. And, you know, if you put your terrain at a gaming store, this is what I recently discovered. You don't have to give it up. All of my stuff is in a big Tupperware box. With my name on it, if I decide I'm going to go play something else and I want that particular set, I could just go there and get it. But I, I want to encourage everybody to donate some terrain to the places that they play. And, you know, you might not have a lot of terrain. You might only have a little. Whatever you have, just contribute to that environment, contribute to that community so other people can play. So you can play there because that's what it takes to be able to create a community and a place, uh, a place to really get the playing going. That's my suggestion. Love that idea. Carla, what about you? I have to give it up to a company that not everybody is, uh, you know, enthused with due to some moral and ethical issues they've had over the cover last couple of years. But uh, Facebook's group, uh, you know, function where you can make these groups has really helped our community grow. Uh, and over the last, I think, year and a half, we have over 200 members now in the Philadelphia area. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to to uh, the Philly Warhammer 40K gaming group. Uh, you know, I think we have a lot of really nice, really great people in that group and like fantastic players, and, um, excellent sportsmen. And, you know, I think, it, uh, you know, it's having that that medium of the 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 Facebook group has been uh, allowed us to do that so it's been uh, convenient for us and um, hoping we can grow that number by you know five times that amount at some point you know I'd love to see a thousand players in that group so <laughs> if you even if you guys uh you know um if anybody's listening to the podcast you don't live in the Philadelphia area you know still feel free to join our group if you stop in the area you can come in and get a game with us um, you know, see see the the stores we always talk about that we play at. Um, 
you know, Red Caps is an excellent place. Gamers Heaven is an excellent place. So, um, you know, you're welcome to stop by. Great call. I have used Facebook to reach out to other gaming stores, groups to get games in while I'm out of town. That's been a really nice resource. So it's good to encourage others to do the same with those of us here in the Philly area. Cool. With that, uh, I will remind you that we are available on all. Well, now I guess I don't need to remind you because you already listened to the show. With that, we will end episode 23. If you haven't done so already, do leave us a review on your favorite podcast access platform of choice, whatever that may be. Uh, We'll look forward to episode 24. We're going to get that going in a couple of short weeks. Do remember to check out our Facebook page. We're going to post some links to Liberty Hammer and to the Summer Slaughter hosted by Basement Wargamers out there in Phoenixville. We are all registered for that. Going to look forward to that tournament in July and Liberty Hammer in June. Both weekend-long, air-conditioned 40K fests. Going to be pretty pretty badass. (laughs) Cool. Uh, With that, we will call it a night. We'll see you all in episode 24. For Crew Shaken, I have been Tim. I'm Laval. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon.